0: he has made him know. Let's pray. Father, would you make yourself known this morning to us? As we come to this beautiful, rich passage that can also be overwhelming and confusing, would you help us? Would your Holy Spirit give us clarity, and even more than that, would he give us humility to listen and to be changed by what you say to us through Scripture. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. The Japanese author Shusaku Endo I don't know if I said that right. That was my best guess. Uh, He wrote a a novel in the 1960s about the travails of, of Roman Catholic missionaries and Japanese converts in the 17th century under great and severe persecution. And he titled his story with the Japanese word for silence. And that title, in many ways, is the theme of the novel as His characters struggle in situations of severe and deep, brutal pain and morally ambiguous situations, they wonder, where is God's voice? Has He abandoned us? Why is God silent? And those are questions not just of 17th century Christians under persecution, those are our questions, aren't they? In the shock of of an unexpected grief, in the guilt and shame of habitual sin, in the disappointment of desires that are unmet, isn't there sometimes a silence that makes us wonder Where is God's voice? Has has He abandoned us? Why does He seem so silent? And into that lonely silence comes the Gospel of John saying, In the beginning was the Word. John has a story to tell us. And as he gets started, he wants us to know something. He wants us to know that God speaks. Essential to the character of our God is communication. Self-expression. So this morning, I want to ask a couple of questions of this text... About our speaking God. How does God speak and what does He say? How does God speak and what does He say? First of all, how does God speak? And throughout the Bible, God communicates in a number of different ways. He communicates through prophets, through angels, in visions and dreams, and even through a burning bush. But John shows us that God's ultimate method of communication isn't through a person. It is a person. The Word, whose name is Jesus. You see, prophets like John the Baptist, who we read about here, they sometimes speak for God. Jesus is the voice of God embodied the voice of God in skin and bone. He is the narration of God's character. He is God's autobiography. And to be that, he must be human, and at the same time be more than human. His story must be more than the 33 years he spent on this earth. And so John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John connects his story in time and history to eternity. He takes us to the mystery of Jesus, fully divine, fully human. The mystery of our God who is one, And three, one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And John takes us there not for the sake of interesting philosophical speculation. He takes us there to say, God is not silent. He so wants you to know Him that the eternal Son entered time, entered history, and became a man to display what God is like, who He is. But Jesus is not merely a Wikipedia page. He's not merely information about God. Did you notice how the opening of John's Gospel deliberately echoes the opening of the Bible in the book of Genesis? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And how did God create? He spoke. He created with His Word. And when He created, what did He speak first? Let there be Jesus is that creative Word. And because He is the Word, He is also the light. The light that makes life possible. Jesus isn't just information. He is the powerful communication of God that brings life into being. And I love verse 5. I love the change in verse 5. Because before this point, before verse 5, the verbs are all in the past, tent, past tense. And then all of a sudden, verse 5, we're in the present tense. The light shines. The word that made life possible remakes life Possible after the fall. After sin and death. God's word is powerful. It is creative. It is life giving. And Jesus is that word. Now, if God speaks. If he communicates in this way in Jesus, in whom is life. If God speaks that way, then the question comes for us, how will you respond to Him? Will you be among those who reject the light in preference for darkness, or will you be among those who receive If God speaks in Jesus, will you listen? Now, that seems to be a very simple question. But we need to realize how countercultural, how counterintuitive that is for us. A few years ago, the visual design of iPhones and other Apple devices changed. I think it was with iOS 7. Before the change, the apps on the screen looked as if there was a light shining outside of the phone. And so they had a little curve that looked like a shadow. After the change, now they are flat, as if light comes from within them. I don't know if the designers intended this, but that is very telling about our culture which says to us, all the light you need is within. All the voice you need is your own desires. Live authentic to the internal voices and shake off the oppression of external ones. And then we wonder why we're so isolated. All living with our own internal voices, why are we so isolated? That's darkness. To live enwrapped in your own limited perspective and desires is blindness. You need an external light. You need an outside voice. You need the word that comes from God. Which is what He has given to us. In his son Jesus. He has spoken. Can we have the humility to listen? Now, why would we do that? Understand that that makes us vulnerable. That means that we risk the loss of control. Our lives become open to another source Why would we do that? Why would we open our lives to this word? Well, I think we can answer why with what. We should receive the word because of what he says. So second question, as God speaks, what does he say? In sending Jesus, God communicated not only about himself, He communicated about Himself in relationship to us. And especially in relationship to those who believe in Him. Verse 12. Those who've received the light, to them He has given the right to be called the children of God. The word Says, you are mine. God sent his son to communicate, you belong to me. You have become my children, with all of the privileges that that entails. The adoption process in our country it ends in a courtroom after all of the paperwork and all of the home studies and all of the interviews, the family comes before a judge. And the judge says, this child belongs to those parents. That moment is Jesus. That's what His words and His life communicate. In Him, God is saying, these children belong to this Father. And as great as that is, as good as that is, that is is not merely a status declared in the past. It is a present reality. The Word says you are mine, and because you are mine, you are not alone. Underneath the surface of this passage, and especially verses 14 to 18, is a story from the Old Testament. It's a story that we actually considered a few months ago when we were in the book of Exodus. It comes from Exodus chapters 32 to 34. If you were with us then, maybe you'll remember, the children of Israel were in the desert. They were at Mount Sinai, and they were waiting for Moses to come down from the mountain with words from God. And they got tired of waiting. They thought God had abandoned them. And so they ask Aaron to make them an alternative deity. They make a golden calf and they begin to worship the golden calf. And God's initial response was, I'm out. I'm done. I will send them and give them this land I promised to them, but I am not going with them. But then Moses interceded. He reminded God of his promises. And he says, God, if you don't go with us, we're not going anywhere. So God relented. And he says, okay, I will go with you. And do you remember what Moses asked for next? He said, please show me your glory. Why? Well, God's glory is the visible manifestation of His character and unique presence with His people. So when Moses asks to see God's glory, he's saying, God, show me that you haven't abandoned us. That you will be with us. And that's what God does. God gives Moses a glimpse of himself. And as he walks by, he talks. And he says about himself, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and mercy. And then a few chapters later, the book of Exodus ends with that glory, the visibility of God descending on a newly built tent called the tabernacle. All a dramatic demonstration that God, even after their sin, had not abandoned His people. So with that ringing in your ears, think again about what John says. The Word became flesh and dwelt. That's the word for tent. The Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And we beheld what? His glory. The glory that was full of grace and truth. Greek words that echo the Hebrew words of God's own self-identification as full of steadfast love and mercy. Do you see what John is saying? He's saying what God gave Moses and the people back then, in Jesus, He has given us more. Grace upon grace. More of His presence. More of Himself. That's what the Word says. If I call my wife on the phone and say, I love you, That's good. If I show up at our house and do the dishes, that's better. (laughs) That communicates love more powerfully. God doesn't just say to us, I love you. In Jesus, He has shown up in this world. Jesus' body, battered for our sin, raised for our life, is the glory of God. The visible manifestation of who He is, His presence with us, and the declaration that we are His, and that we will not be abandoned. And if you believe in Jesus that does not mean you will never feel lonely. It does mean that you are never alone. It doesn't mean that you will never feel weak. But it does mean that God's creative, powerful word is never absent from the details of your life. It doesn't mean that you will never feel guilty. It does mean that God's favor His grace towards you is never exhausted. The light shines. The word has been spoken. Will you daily receive it? This was a very intimidating text for me. I mean, to think about God being made known in the, the mystery of, of Himself as triune, the mystery of the eternal Son become a man. How do I communicate that to people who are getting hungry for lunch? <laughs> and as I struggle with what to say and how to say it, I, re- I remembered something that Dietrich Bonhoeffer said in a sermon. He said, Christ came into the world Not so that we should understand Him, but so that we should cling to Him. There's our response. There's our response to this text, to this book. There's our response this week, not that we would somehow completely comprehend the Word become flesh, but that in our lonely silence, we should cling to Him. Let's pray.